Shapers on Jazz FM. Listen in color. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Big and hearty. What a great way to start the programme. That was, of course, California Soul from Marlena Shaw. Good morning. This is Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. I'm Elliot Moss. Thank you very much for joining me. Jazz Shapers is the place where you can hear the very best of the people shaping the world of jazz, soul and blues, alongside their equivalents in the world of business, a huge business shaper. And my business shaper today is none other than Mr. Robin Rowland, now the executive chairman of the amazing brand called Yo Sushi, with almost 100 restaurants worldwide. My my son, for one, is a fan. I'm sure you are too. In addition to hearing from Robin, you'll also be hearing from our program partners at Mishkondorea. Some words of advice for your business. And on top of all of that, a tasty mix of music from the shapers of jazz, blues and soul, including Eliane Elias, Etta James, and this from Manchester 3 piece Gogo Penguin, here on Jazz FM. The haunting sound of Kamaloka from Gogo Penguin. That's a Mercury Music Prize nominated album and it's called V2.0 if you're interested. Robin Rowland is my business shaper here on Jazz Shapers. And Robin is now the executive chairman, as of earlier this year, of Yo Sushi, the beautiful sushi business where you can go and eat amazing food. Um, and I'm going to stop there and say hello. Hello, Elliot. Thank you very much for joining me. You joined the business almost right at the beginning. Mm. Um, and uh, you met the founder, Simon Woodruff, back in, I think it was the late 90s. That's right, yeah, 1999. 1999. You came into that business then with a, with a big career in, in very big companies, enormous companies. I think Diageo was one of them, um, and I believe Scottish and Newcastle acquired one of the businesses you were in at the time as well. Mm. What was it like moving from these enormous businesses to something that was very, very nascent and very, very small at that point? Because you're kind of an interesting entrepreneurial type person. You you chose a different path. That's right. I, I, mean, I think I've been always been a bit of a corporate entrepreneur, but now I'm, I think after 15 years, I'm a blooded entrepreneur. Um, the reality was in every business I worked in, I worked in Whitbread and Grand Met, Scotch Newcastle. I was basically responsible for developing brands. And I was a bit of a, uh, a bit of a, a maverick, I guess. And I, I was always allowed to basically grow my own teams and develop my own concepts. So I had a taste of that, but it was always banked bank by an enormous balance sheet. Um, and I had a sort of safety blanket of operators around me and uh, senior management. Um, but I was mid-30s and I was, frankly, um, not as stimulated as I should have been. And I was running quite large parts of a company. I was working, running about 120 restaurants um, in my early 30s. And I just felt I could do more. And I also felt that um, uh, there was probably too much politics and um, process where we could actually be doing more exciting things. And that's really a bit of the journey towards meeting Simon and seeing an, an extraordinary concept, which was ahead of its time. 
And, you know, 15 years on, it's still as it was relevant as it was then, but in a different way. Um, and it's been a very exciting journey. And I wouldn't stop for a minute and say I should have stayed where I was. It was exactly the right thing to do. And yet it also sounds like without that first 10, 15 years in business, you wouldn't have been able to add the value that you did and see the things that you needed to see and work out the processes and the operational side and the brand element, as you said, without having all that experience banked. I think you're right. I mean, I've got an advantage on an entrepreneur who doesn't understand the industry. I mean, I understood it was all about the um, the product and the property and the people and how you promote it and then how you make profit. All that was hard hardwired in me. So I can look at a business and um, probably work out to make money out of it. Um, but what I still had, I still had the mojo to actually the enthusiasm to do it properly, um, which means I wasn't going through the motions. I loved Yo Sushi from the first time I saw it. So I love it, you know, today. Um, and I think, but having the disciplines and experience of you know successes and failures in large companies um, put me in a really good place to, uh, to work with Simon and eventually buy the business off him in 2003. And when you started working with Simon, I mean, um, you obviously you work with him very closely. And you, as you said, you then you then it was a bit like the Victor, the Remington story. I, Remington, I bought the I was so impressed I bought the company. But you the, the, the Simon relationship with you as the the founder and then you coming in essentially to go and run it and take this business on and then to own it yourself strained, tense, or interesting, creative. I mean, what kind of time was it? <laughs> can you now, with ten years' distance, talk rationally about it? I think. Oh, I think we both can. I mean, my, my job is to organise the organisation, but um, Simon just needed somebody to help him. It, frankly, uh, the the process of managing people and processes bored him. Um, and it, it also needs somebody to actually look after the um, uh, the team and and also you know the, the other sort of people who are partnerships in this in terms of the bank and the uh, the landlords. Um, but I mean, he and I work to work very well. We, we are you know we're very different, but we're also we're very complementary together. We're very powerful um, and we remain you know good friends today. But it was important that. Um, uh, we were, we had mutual respect. He's a very, very strong man, and uh, I was quite confident and capable of dealing with him. I think other people who worked with him um, felt him just it was just too much. Um, but I, you know, I think it was one problem because we had respect for each other's strengths and recognised each other's weaknesses. Um, so it was a marriage of strengths at the time. Stay with me to hear how things panned out and how Robin bought the company and took it on from there. Time for some music in the meantime. Though this is Etta James, and I just want to make love to you. Slave. I don't want you to work all day, but I want you to be true, and I just want to make love to you, love to you. Ooh, love that was the thumping, pumping sound of Etta James, and I just want to make love to you. Robin Rowland is my business shape. He was talking about his business partner, Simon Woodruff, before we had little Etta telling us um, her thoughts on the matter. Um, unusually, and I, I meet lots of people who have founded their businesses or some other people that come in and they set something up and they, 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 you know some, some unusual things happen. You are a very unusual person that you bought a, bought a business from a, a, um, a man who was perceived then in the industry as a kind of a, a pretty maverick, charismatic fellow and created this new business. You went and took it and you've done extraordinary things with it. So you are a sort of entrepreneur in residence, if you like, now, as you said, a blooded entrepreneur rather than a corporate one. What was it like having knowing that you were going to buy this company, and what did you have to do to, to make it all happen? If you can cast your mind back that far, um, well, go, go back fifteen years ago. I had to put it on a financially stable platform because um, the business had expanded a little bit ahead of its um, 
facility, you know, its facilities. Um, and we ch- ch- had to try and figure out what, where it worked. I mean, you know, you can have a great idea, but you have to repeat it if you're going to make a big business. Um, and we hadn't proven a great deal. We had a great site in Soho. We had great sites in um, um, in Selfridges <clears throat> and Harvard Nichols. But the truth is you couldn't repeat those. So my challenge was to, was to prove it could work in other locations, which were less obvious. So the, to me, the seminal moments were opening in Paddington Station, which was uh, an island location has been fantastic successful ever since. It cost buttons to do, but it's um, made a fortune ever since and has been loved by many Londoners. And so visible. I mean, that's the great thing. You see it, you can't miss the beautiful uh, conveyor belt of gorgeous food in the distance. It's kind of pulling you in, which is unusual in a train station because yeah. yeah. the last thing you want to do is sit down and have a bite to eat usually. It, well, I think, I think the world's moved on. I, I think basically the uh, network rail would argue otherwise. People want to use um, stations. Um, now they do. Now they do. And yeah. it, that's a big change. So we did that and I also basically took the restaurants, um, um, the concept overseas. And we did a, a couple of sites in, in Greece of all places. But the challenge of doing that probably taught me a lot about what it's worth to do, what has to take a brand overseas. Um, and we were, we were running the business so on with very little, um, uh, you know, airspace. Air so we had to be very careful about cash. I mean, so cash flow was what we needed to sort out. And then basically getting a proper um, investor on board, that takes a year or so. And we had to, we were out there looking for a you know, VC backer for about a year or so. And that, this is in 2002, 2003. Um, and, and, and basically, I got the team around me. And I... I the people who joined me then are still with me today. Um, they've been through the whole journey, the whole roller coaster, the long, long ride. Um, and it's very important to me that you know this team uh, also credit the success of the business. And what it sounds like is you've combined that energy that an entrepreneur has, and that someone who's really you know trying to fix things quite quickly. And you mentioned then you you rattled through a whole you know, every single facet of the organisation, including a team to to deliver it. Mm. And yet you have to be super strategic at that point. And it sounds like you had, with your experience and your background, that ability to be quite dispassionate, even if you were in it. Is that fair? Yeah, well, I, I, could, I could sell the promise and the dream. I could articulate what we we're doing to people who are going to basically back it. And that, that's probably one of the critical things with private equity-backed businesses. You better better get it, you do your elevator pitch quickly um, to get bank and um, private equity to back you. Um, and it made, it made enough sense to people at the time to take a risk. And it was still a risk in 2003. Don't be in illusions. You know, a 10-site restaurant business, that's still not proven. Stay with me to find out how Robin went and proved the case um, rather significantly over the following years. Latest travel in a couple of minutes, but before that, some words of wisdom for your burgeoning business, I hope, from our programme partners at Mishkondorea. Hi, I'm Greg Campbell. I'm a partner in the employment department at Mishkondorea. I've been practising in employment law for 20 years. At Mishkondorea, one of the interesting things we do is we act both for senior executives and for corporate employers, so we do get to see both sides of the debate. A lot of my clients are starting up in business, and the questions they ask are, well, what should I be thinking about when I hire new staff? What I would say is the important thing is, write down a contract of employment. It doesn't matter that you haven't written one down, there is a contract of employment in existence the moment you hire somebody. By writing it down, you make it clear what each party's expectations are, and you minimise the risk of any disputes in the future. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM, in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You're listening to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss. Every Saturday morning you can catch me talking to a shaper of business. Uh, If you miss any of the programmes, go into iTunes, put in the words Jazz and Shapers, you can find us over there. If you're travelling on British Airways and you so desire, I think you'll find us in there on BA High Life or FT.com or even CityM.com. It's in lots of places. 
Robin Roden is my business shaper today, and he is now uh, the executive chairman. What a wonderful title. We're going to talk about what that means Um and he was the CEO for many, many, many years. And in fact, as you were hearing earlier, I hope he bought the business from the founder back um, way back when, uh, called Simon Woodruff. We were talking earlier, uh, Robin, about how you put the thing together, and you described in very articulate terms all the different things that you had to do. But for you, it was just what you did then, all the different pieces of the jigsaw. And then you said, and then we had to prove that a ten-site business concept restaurant concept was going to work. Tell me about those first few years as you went from 10 to 20. What did you do to, and I love what you said, it's all about the scale and repeating. How did you ensure you could repeat the concept so perfectly? Um, well, I mean, is, building restaurants is not that complex once you've got a design package. But the, the hard thing about uh, restaurants, they are three-dimensional, colourful businesses which are all about people. And so getting a culture and the quality of recruiting the right people, retaining them and motivating them was really the biggest challenge, I think, going from 20 to 30, I suppose, so, or 10 to 30. Um, and the other problem we had was basically, well, it's all very well in London, but it won't work in Aberdeen. Well, actually, my, I, I just love that challenge because I'd run national tr- restaurant brands before. So to me, it was hilarious because I knew I could actually open in, in Bristol, like in Cardiff, and it'd probably work in Norwich one day and it'd probably work in Plymouth one day. And why is that? Why did it, why did it not bother you? And why have they worked? Because nobody's doing what we're doing. Because there was a massive gap in the market. I mean, pizza, pasta, we have some fantastic operators. But you know what? There's only so much you can take of that. And I think there was an opportunity. And Wagamama's had had paved a bit of the way. But we were ahead of them in terms of going outside London. We moved faster and more fleet of foot. And the other thing that was interesting about Yo is you could put Yo Sushi in unusual locations. You didn't need extraction. We were very bold in our design. We were taking sites that people couldn't make work apart from coffee shops. So to me, there was an intellectual challenge here. Um, you know, both going outside London and proving you could put Yo Sushi right in people's faces in unusual locations. So it was an absolute pleasure. You know, those years were wonderful. And blood, sweat, and tears, I imagine, too. Uh, yeah, a lot of it. I'm basically biting fingernails because I put all my own, you know, personal wealth on the line, um, my own, you know, credibility on the line. Um, and, you know, we got lucky, but it wasn't without an awful lot of hard work. Yeah, I was going to say, you make your own luck somewhat. But you, you said you put your own wealth on the line. At what point did you go without being kind of, you know, sitting back and being complacent, did you go, this is all right, this is going to work, or this is working? Was there a moment or there were, was there a series of moments when you thought, I think I've done the right thing here? Yeah, I, th- I think, um, well, when we started getting phone calls from America in 2006, and I, I said, well, what's all that about? And they they, they, real- they, they had recognised this an extraordinary concept that was unusual, uh, distinctive, obviously commercially successful. Um, I thought, wow. But the trouble with the hubris in this business, if it's your own business, is that you start believing the, the, you know, these nonsense calls. Um, but I, I felt we were in a good place because we were halfway through our investment by a company called um, Primary Capital, um, and they also felt it. We were in a good place. It's around um, 205, 206. We're, we're on a roll. Now, you, people, when they talk about brands, and it doesn't matter what the market is, whether, what the industry is, they talk about being distinctive. It sounds like you understood that both from a practical, rational point of view and from, a, from an instinctive point of view. How is that? Have you cherished and nurtured that distinctiveness of Yosushi, or has it sort of done it itself because the proposition is the proposition? Well, the, the proposition helps because there aren't many restaurants who can do, you know, a Kai Ten um, conveyor belt to deliver their food. So that's a big point of difference. But the reality is, we've always thought differently. We don't think of ourselves as a restaurant business. We we work with rock and roll designers, uh, rock and roll um, graphics companies. Our music is um, bespoke to us. Um, we don't, we try to think more into the retail or brand than we do. And the food is very very important to us. But we've never thought of ourselves as just a classic restaurant. I'm taking myself frightfully serious business. Um, so a sense of humour. 
software and um, self-deprecation uh, and also being listening hard to your, your guests is what we've done. And we've always tried to stay small by why we got big, by being you know, humble and listening to people. Sounds like a recipe for success. Excuse the pun, Robin, Very forgive good. me. Um, time for some music before we hear more from my fantastic business shaper. This is from Diggs Duke, new music from the Washington-based artist, and it's called The Pinnacle, an aptly of class and taste. That was Diggs Duke with the pinnacle of class and taste. Robin Ronan is my pinnacle of class and taste here. We're talking about food, yo sushi, but more than just food, actually, Robin. We're talking about brand, and more than brand, you were talking about customers and people. Um, how have you ensured that the business itself has remained respected within the industry, has remained a favourite of my child and many other children and so on and so forth? It feels like a very happy, positive energy type of business, and I met you for the first time, and I've not met anyone else who works in the business, and yet that's my perception. Mm. Why is that my perception? Uh, well, it, it, it comes from the team. I mean, we just done a team engagement survey. Eighty-five percent of our uh, workforce, which is like eighteen hundred people, are, um, are, ha- are very happy to work for you, which is an extraordinarily high number. But the truth is, it, it comes from the culture you you, you create. And uh, around me, I have team who are positive. Um, they're solution-minded. They are very respectful. Um, they live by four mantras: they're respectful, unconventional, colourful, and confident. And that is say that, those again. They were they're good. respectful. Unconventional, colourful, and confident. We spent a lot of time getting down those four those four words. And basically, you know, if, if you want to join Yo, you, you better give it a chime with those those kind of values because we we use those when we talk to our landlords, to our suppliers, to our franchisees, to our bankers. Um, everyone knows that we're real, um, and there's no artifice in Yo. We just try and do our very very best every day. Um, in a way which is a little bit humble, um, but also confidence. And it's a very interesting mixture, but it's kind of where I was brought up and the way my team will think. think. And it sounds like, based on those values, and I hear that you know that you, what you're saying makes perfect sense, successful businesses usually are predicated on really strong values that are meaningful rather than just the stuff you have to yeah. say in a corporate manual. What that sounds like it's enabled you to do is actually the thing you described earlier, which is this bringing in influences from other worlds, the rock and roll nature of your design. As you said, you look for interesting things. Is that a personal thing of yours, a personal mantra of yours, or is it inherent in the the brand of Yosushi itself? I mean, it, it probably isn't in our DNA, but it's um, uh, you know, living living the promise. When I took all our designers in, in January '09, um, five of them to Tokyo, and we didn't sleep for five days. We just did Tokyo from end to end, and these guys are still buzzing from it. They said no other client would ever take them, you know, to um, uh, Tokyo. It's what you dream of when you're at a design school. But we always try to be do things differently. Um, and not trying to over-formalise or over-analyse things. And whenever our landlords say to us, we need something new, something different, we're kind of capable of doing that. So, you know, we're not a formulaic rollout. We're a collection of restaurant businesses. We happen to sell in a consistent menu, but the menu does change between the restaurants as well. So I think it's just being perpetually prepared to um, change and improve. And we never build the same restaurant twice, which I don't think is quite the same as other people. And by the way, there are 90 restaurants around the world, £80 million uh, revenue and around 1,700 going towards 18, 19 and probably 2,000 people by the end of the year working in the Yosushi business. Not bad at all. We'll have our final chat with Robin, plus play a track from Eliani Elias. That's coming up after the latest traffic and travel here on Jazz FM. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, 
but it's personal. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I can render. Tell the one who loves you only, I can be so warm and tender. That was Eliani Elias with Call Me, Nice and Calm Too. Robin Rohn is my business shaper just for a few more minutes. We've been talking about all sorts of things about this fantastic brand, and it is that. Happens to be a restaurant, happens to sell wonderful food, but it is a brand. Um, and this brand, this British brand, predicated on a Japanese experience, is now global. Yep. How have you done that? Because that is not easy. Many people listening who run their own businesses who say there's a big wide world out there won't know where to start. How did it begin and where's it going now for you? Well, it began by a lot of unsolicited um, calls uh, going back, over, you know, even 15 years ago. And we took a long time to try and find the, the right partner because the reality is if you trust somebody with your brand, you better get it right. Um, and our first partner basically opened in Dubai and I was in Dubai last week. Um, and I couldn't believe it. He's opened a brand new restaurant in Dubai Mall, which is our third highest grossing restaurant last week. And it's just fabulous. And it, I just pinched myself to thinking, my God, you know, we're actually doing something extraordinary overseas. And it's making money and... Um, I don't think people see us as a British brand. The British brand, they just see it as a great food offer. And it's a very recognisable brand. Um, and I'm then, taking ownership on behalf of Britain, you see. That's what I'm doing. But you're right, of course. Yeah. It's just a, a global brand that sells fantastic. No, I'm super, supremely proud it's British. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. But, but you're um, right, it's not perceived like it's that. It's not perceived that way. And we're not sort of um, doing a Ben Sherman thing. Um, the, in the Oslo airport, we've opened a fantastic restaurant there with SSP. And they seem to be very keen to open more airports there. That's our, one of our high, that is probably one of our highest grossing restaurants each week. So something extraordinary happens with this business if you get in the right locations because we've spent 15 years developing the concept and we know how to deliver it people seem to see it um you know as a very very useful kind of adjunct to anything else they're doing so um certainly in travel works well works the middle east brilliantly it sounds like the partners you choose are critical because as, as you as you said earlier the values are are so specific the yep. brand itself has a look and a feel to it you you, you know you know as you walk in whether it feels right or Correct. not instantaneously how hard is it to find those partners? Is, uh, that, is that the most important part of the international expansion game for you? Well, well it is if you're doing franchising. I mean, it is like a marriage. If you get it wrong, it's very hard to undo it and it can be painful. Um, but if you get it right, of course, it can be a long-term relationship where you learn an awful lot from each other. It is just like a marriage. And um, I think that it is very hard to find the good partners because um, they're rare beasts indeed. Uh, but we've been successful. And um, you know, I, I give advice to a lot of people about um, take your time um, because it's a long-term relationship. Now, t- talking about um, change and things looking forward as, uh, as you look to shape the business, you've become executive chairman since May this year. You've got a, a chief executive now. Mm. What's it like having a change from being the guy who's literally over everything to this more, I imagine you're still over everything, but now you've officially got to be advisory rather than you know doing and things. How have you managed to scale back the doing and how do you decide what you do and you don't do? Uh, it's work and transition, I guess. I mean, I, I was lucky enough to join a few other boards the last couple of years to learn how to be a better non-executive or, you know, a support to the executive team. Uh, so I'm on the board of Marston's, um, Cafe Nero and Tortilla. Uh, and and there's a little burrito bar business. And I think by joining these other boards, I've learned to uh, work on the business as well as in the business. So that was helpful. Um, and then I just, I'm blessed with the most fantastic um, CEO who's been working with me for about 18 months. Um, she's had a good transition. She came in as CEO. And Vanessa Hall is more than capable of running the business going forward. So she 
she and I've kind of divvied up, you know, um, the workload, um, and it seems to work fine. But I ultimately, she runs the show, um, and I'm I'm there to support her in any any way that's required. So the president and the prime minister, pretty much. The president goes out and and, and creates globally happy relationships, and the prime minister carries on making sure the country's working. Well, as long as I get told what the truth, what's going on, that's <laughs> yeah, fine. As long as you know that. I mean, and, you know, and I guess the other the other dilemma is this is a privately owned business. So when you still own a part of the business, that is very tricky because you know your financial wealth is basically tied up with their success. So, mm. but it's the right thing for the business, and um, it's been a very help, helpful and useful exercise, and we're delighted with the way it's turning out. Fantastic. Uh, it's been a real pleasure talking to you, Robin. Before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Oh, I've, I've chosen, chosen As by um, Stevie Wonder because it's really, my, without my wife and my family, um, who I unconditionally love, this could not have been possible. Fantastic. This is your song choice. Robin Ronan, thank you for being my business shape today. It's As from Stevie Wonder. That was As from Stevie Wonder, the song choice of my business shaper today, Robin Rowland. Respectful, unconventional, colourful and confident was the way he described the values of Yo Sushi, and I think he embodied all of those. And, of course, there was a touch of rock and roll. Superb stuff. Do join me again, same time, same place. That's next Saturday morning at 9am. In the meantime, though, stay with us here on Jazz FM, because coming up next it's Nigel Williams, and joining Nigel is Michael Wilson, who from Monday will be presenting the all-new Alpari Business Breakfast. 6am sharp Monday. Don't miss it. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea, it's business, but it's personal.